This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. 4th President Barack Obama has quit on the American people. Welcome to the program. The latest terror attacks in Paris, France, is my opening topic here today. It is my claim that President Barack Obama is incapable of protecting the American people from ISIS. He's simply afraid of confrontation. He is psychologically weak. I mean, Putin exposed Obama for what he is. He's a dove, a peacenik, an appeaser. He won't say Islamic terror. He's a wimp on foreign policy. He's as fragile as an eggshell mentally, and so are the Democrats. President Obama is totally disconnected from his ultimate responsibility of protecting America, and he is instead choosing to spend what time he has left as commander-in-chief chasing foolish and selfish liberal agenda items, things like releasing federal prisoners, opening the gates of hell in the American ghetto, And he's too busy running around granting amnesty to millions of illegal aliens. By the way, let me tell you a quick story about the use of the term illegal alien. I went in this week. I'm uh, picking up a semi-automatic rifle and I had to undergo the background check. And one of the questions asked, are you an alien in the country illegally? And I saw that question and I said, I love this. This is a United States Department of Justice form. So the United States Department of Justice is using the phrase illegal alien. Yet the left is prohibiting anybody else from using that term. I thought that was classic. By the way, uh, uh, when they put the instant background check through, it came back delayed because they're behind. Now I can't pick my weapon up until sometime next week, they said. So much for instant background checks. So much for needing to tighten background checks. They want to take their time. That's okay with me. We don't need any drastic changes in this process. But back to my my point here on uh, Obama and Islamic terrorism. If the GOP plays the Paris terror attacks strategically smart, by the way, the terrorist attacks in Paris are a threat to the United States. These attacks are heading our way. But as I was saying, if the GOP candidates for President of the United States play this right, they can increase the likelihood, as nothing's out of the realm of possibility, we saw that in 2012, we saw it in 08, but they can re- increase the likelihood that no Democrat can win the White House 
in 2016. Why? Because a majority of voters in the United States will not trust Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley, or Mrs. Bill Clinton with our national security. With the likely nominee, Mrs. Bill Clinton, one only has to harken back to her handling of the Benghazi terror attacks that killed our U.S. Ambassador Stevens and several other brave Americans with no response. She followed it up with a lie. I find it hard to believe that a majority of Americans will trust the Democrats with our national security. But they're not just going to hand it over to the GOP. That's why I said if they play this strategically smart, this is political warfare. You know, it's not strategically hard to do. Here would be my suggestion. You hang President Obama's disastrous foreign policy of strategic patience and denial about the enormity of the threat of ISIS around the necks of the Democrats, to use a metaphor. But I do have some reservations. My fear is that the GOP has shown a propensity to fumble the football in the red zone, if you know what I mean. If you're football fans, you know what I mean by that analogy. President Barack Obama does not understand that the wolf is at the door trying to chew its way in. The wolf is ISIS, and the door is the United States of America, the Western world, and possibly civilization itself. He has failed in his most solemn duty of protecting the American people at home and abroad. Who's been brought to justice for James Foley and other people beheaded on video? Yeah, I know they think Jihadi John, they got him in a drone strike. That doesn't That doesn't bring anybody to justice. I'm not suggesting these people need to be brought to justice. What I'm suggesting is there should be hell to pay for laying a finger on an American while that American is abroad. I think President Obama has failed at America's moral duty to be a leader in the world. Yes, we have to be. One of the things I find interesting, though, is is people keep accusing President Obama of not having an overall strategy to defeat Islamic terrorism. I maintain that he does have a strategy. His strategy is to run out the clock on the rest of his presidency and hand this mess off to his successor. That is a strategy. But it's a failed strategy. One that has what one retired general described to me as having the effect of national suicide. And he's right. If you remember, Obama, just days before the Paris terror attacks, boldly proclaimed that ISIS is contained. Really? Where? 
A few drone strikes taking out ISIS leaders is a tactic. It is not a strategy. A strategy is defined as a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major or overall aim. The art of planning and directing overall military operations and movements in a war battle. The overall aim is to wipe Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth. That's an overall aim. These other things, drone strikes, boots on the ground, those are tactics. It's not the overall aim. We don't have one. When I say we, the President of the United States does not have one. Obama hasn't done this. And if he thinks he has, what what, what Obama believes the strategy to defeat Islamic terrorism should be defies what his own military commanders say should be done. I mean, there's no military commander that advises against his his strategy. People smarter than him militarily aren't agreeing. But just like the narcissist that Obama is, he believes that he's smarter than anybody else. No one can tell him anything. Obama is the same guy who said that ISIS is the JV of terror organizations. He said that putting on a L.A. Lakers uniform jersey does not make you Kobe Bryant. Maybe it doesn't make ISIS the Lakers, but it does make al-Baghdadi the equivalent of LeBron James on the Mideast battlefield. Baghdadi is dominating President Obama right now. Speaking of military commanders, the next segment we're going to talk about one that I met recently and his ideas on this war on terror. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In a minute, I'm going to give you a retired general's take uh, in terms of war strategy and this this whole uh, approach to defeating ISIS. Let me set it up first. I'm not a war expert. I've never been in war. I've never conducted a war. I've never... uh, I don't have any military experience. Okay, I wasn't in the military. My area of education is an intelligence services, the intelligence process, uh, military intelligence. That's what I studied. Um, so I have a, a vast understanding of that, but not conducting a military campaign. And unlike some people, I'm not going to try to come off as if I do. I hear from people all the time, these, these blowhards on the cable news, uh, they come on as experts and you always want to know a little bit about their bio, and I look to see, have they ever been in war? Have they ever conducted a war? Have they ever led troops in battle? Have they ever designed battle plans? And if they haven't, many of these people are coming out of uh, uh, the academics, then I don't really have much time for them. But 
What I do and what I've done in this instance, I've had the fortunate experience of meeting two Army generals, retired now, Paul Vallely, Major General, U.S. Army, and Jack Keane, uh, Jack Keane, retired U.S. Army, who now is the chairman of the board of the Institute for the Study of War. And I've heard them speak, and I had a chance to chat with them a little bit uh, recently and, and, and ask them at the time if I could uh, use them as resources on, on some of this terrorism stuff, and they, they obliged. So after the terrorist attacks, I, I uh, reached out to them, and uh, they got back to me, and I asked for some information uh, to form some coherent, um, intelligent thing to say about uh, what's going on right now from their experience. Okay, so, you know, and I think that's very important here because we have a commander-in-chief who does not get it. He doesn't understand. He's not a war. Uh, he's not experienced at war either. Yeah, he's the commander-in-chief, but that is by design. We handed it to him by making him the president of the United States. You are the commander-in-chief. That's a process. I like that process. I like civilian control of the military. However, with this president, he doesn't have the wherewithal to know what he does not know. So he has a tendency to just come up with this, his, his own ideas of what will work. He defies what people who have been there, people who have been in the belly of the beast, uh, their experiences. And, and, and in the end, he gets to make the decision, but he should base it on somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff, unlike him. So, um, and reaching out to these two retired army generals, um, I found an article here, and this one's authored by Jack Kane. It's entitled Time to Wake Up. I want to take you through this, and this is his uh, perspective on what's going on. ISIS is part of a multi-generational struggle against radical Islam which will likely dominate the first half of the 21st century, similar to the fight against communism, which dominated the second half of the 20th century. ISIS is the most successful terrorist organization in modern history. It is driven by a religious-based ideology with significant geopolitical objectives to establish an extensive caliphate that touches the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. ISIS has three major goals. The first is to defend Syria and Iraq. While the group has lost some territory, ISIS views its operations in Syria and Iraq as largely successful because it still controls large swaths of territory. Despite U.S. and coalition attempts to degrade and destroy ISIS, the group is recruiting at the same rate, maintaining tactical and operation initiative, and is able to logistically sustain its forces. The second goal of of ISIS is to use its headquarters in Syria to expand the the near abroad by establishing affiliate organizations, Wiliads, which is a formal relationships relationship in eight countries and regions: Saudi Arabia, Libya, Egypt, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Nigeria, North Caucasus, and Algeria. ISIS provides guidance and resources to these affiliates. These affiliates are attempting to control a swath of territory inside these countries and regions while undermining the local government. As we know, Wiliat Sinai is suspected of downing a Russian aircraft. The third major goal of ISIS is to influence the far abroad 
which are largely countries that are supporting the coalition against ISIS, United States, Europe, and Australia, by inspiring and motivating radicals by averaging, uh, by leveraging, I'm sorry, thousands of social media posts per day, and by returning fighters from Syria who are trained and motivated to attack their own citizens at home. Obviously, the recent attacks in France and Lebanon are examples. ISIS attempts to divide and polarize these societies by weakening the people's resolve to support their government's efforts against ISIS and to fragment and polarize the non-Muslim and Muslim populations. What ISIS has accomplished in the last two weeks is unprecedented. While conducting a conventional war in Iraq and Syria, ISIS has staged terrorist attacks on a global scale against the people from the countries who are fighting ISIS. The result is almost 900 casualties in 12 days, both killed and wounded, who are Russian, Lebanese, and mostly French. Can you imagine the impact if the Nazis were conducting terrorist activities in, in, in major American cities while the U.S. was fighting the Nazis in Europe? Clearly, ISIS is not contained and is far from defeated. The United States and our allied partners need to wake up. ISIS is at war with us, but America is not truly at war with ISIS. Not the President, nor the Congress, and certainly not the American people. Syria is ISIS's center of gravity. It's where Baghdadi exploited a stalemated civil war, established a sanctuary, and created the world's largest terrorist army. To defeat ISIS, it must be destroyed in Syria, and yet there is no strategy to do so. As long as ISIS continues to exist in the face of superior allied militaries, it creates an aura of invincibility and destiny which draws radicals to the movement and inspires them to fight for the caliphate and or kill their fellow citizens. The U.S. must step up and recognize that the policy of strategic patience is an excuse for a lack of a coherent strategy to defeat ISIS. Time is truly an issue because the longer the ISIS sanctuary in Syria remains, the longer the killing and barbarism continue with an ever-increasing threat to the United States. Now is the time for a revised strategy with our European and Middle East allies to stabilize Syria politically and defeat ISIS militaria in Iraq and Syria. Listen to that. Clear, coherent, General Jack Keane lays it out. This is the kind of, 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 of aid or uh, uh, person that Obama should be reaching out to, some retired generals as well as those currently serving, because he needs a plurality of ideas and experiences, not just ones who are going to tell him what he wants to hear, but this isn't what's happening. You know, as... as um, I sifted through some of this information that they sent me. It's kind of fascinating. Um, I came across this where uh, Dr. Kimberly Kagan and Dr. Frederick Kagan authored an article, What to Do and Don't Do in Response to the uh, Paris Attacks. And it says there is nothing U.S. law enforcement and border security could do to uh, guarantee a group that small could ever enter our country or once here plan and conduct the attack an attack like this. The enemy is allowed to try hard and as often as they like from safe havens abroad, they will eventually get through our defenses. 
This is the existential threat that we face right now that President Barack Obama does not understand. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. I know some of you think it won't happen, but imagine for just one moment that this wasn't a Russian plane, that it was a plane full of Americans. You don't think that the U.S. mentality would change very rapidly? I'm telling you, we are one severe incident away from not 50 individuals with boots on the ground, but 5,000. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Let's turn the page and talk about something closer to home. came across an article, Political, by Kenneth Vogel and Sarah Wheaton. How major donors are considering funding Black Lives Matter. I read this I said, here we go. I've been right on this from the beginning. I continue to be right on this this subversive group. I said nearly a year ago this was a political construct. It was not a protest movement. And it was being used as an igniter to turn out the black vote for the 2016 general election. I was right. I am right. And I will continue to be right about this movement. So in part, this article says some of the biggest donors on the left plan to meet behind closed doors next week in Washington with leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement and their allies to discuss funding the burgeoning protest movement, Politico has learned. The meetings are taking place at the annual winter gathering of the Democracy Alliance, major liberal donor club, which runs from Tuesday through Sunday, and is expected to draw financial heavyweights, including Tom Steyer and Paul Eagerman. It goes on to say that the club uh, and some of its members are also considering ways to funnel support directly to scrappier local groups that have utilized confrontational tactics to inject their grievances into the political debate. It's a potential partnership that could elevate the Black Lives Matter movement and heighten its impact. Some of the major liberal donors are leery about funding a movement known for aggressive tactics, particularly ones that have uh, shown a willingness to train its fire on Democrats, and I think that's great gets back into that. You create a monster. You better be able to feed the monster continually. And the monster has an incredible appetite. At some point, you will not be able to feed the monster, and the monster will turn on you and eat you. Back to the story here. The movement needs cash to build a self-sustaining infrastructure. Quote, tactics such as shutting down freeways and disrupting rallies can alienate major donors And if that's your primary source of support, then you're at risk for being blocked from doing what you need to do, said Stephen Phillips, a Democracy uh, Alliance member and significant contributor to Democratic candidates and and, uh, sources. Movements that are challenging the status quo and that do do so to some extent by using direct action or disruptive tactics are meant to make people uncomfortable. So I'm sure we have partners who would be made uncomfortable by it or think that it's not a good tactic. Then it goes on to say that um, 
one of the leaders of the uh, uh, Democracy Alliance group, cautioned that it would be a mistake for major liberal donors to only give to established national groups to support the movement. Quote, I think for many donors, it might feel safer to invest in groups like ours and others to support the work. But frankly, many of those groups are not led by African-Americans and are not and are far removed from what's happening on the ground. You know who came to mind? Quentin Tarantino. That was his motive in showing up at that uh, rally, whatever you want to call it, in, in New York after one of NYPD's finest. Randolph Holder was shot and killed by a black suspect. And he showed up and called police murderers. That's exactly what that was. One of these guys here. You know, these people who are far removed from the ground, he said. That's why Tarantino was there. To flaunt his racial sensitivity. To score some cheap political points. To to have his... his, his, his uh, Book stamped, if you will. That's what they do. That's what these. That's what this whole weekend is really going to be about. These one percenters, a chance to flaunt their racial sensitivity, get their book stamped that they're down with the struggle when they're not. As this guy said, they're far removed from what's happening on the ground. I want to shift this over now into this whole college campus unrest, these rebellions, these insurrections. Notice the the words that I chose to use. These weren't student protests. These are student rebellions and student insurrections. I'm sorry. At a public university. A tax-supported university. This isn't a private school. Most of the students there are having their tuition, whatever they're paying, it's subsidized by the taxpayers. That tuition does not cover the full cost of running that school. The taxpayers support the University of Missouri. The taxpayers should get to weigh in on this. When they demanded the ouster of the university president, I thought to myself, that university president doesn't work for the students, he works for the taxpayers of the state of Missouri. I didn't hear the taxpayers asking for his removal. But you see how the tail is wagging the dog on what has become nothing more with our colleges and universities, nothing more than we've turned them into laboratories for liberal indoctrination. Look at some of the degrees offered. They have nothing to do with academic rigor, nothing to do with hard sciences, nothing to do with with taking these mush mines and filling their head with knowledge so that they can grow up, become adults, act like adults, and contributing members of our society. You've heard me talk previously about the weak courses offered, African-American studies, gender studies. Where does one go to get a job with a degree in that other than a college or university. There's no demand for that in the workplace. None whatsoever. So you have these these, these student-led rebellions, and they're the creation of the professors anyway. I think there's some poetic justice in that. 
that they're demanding the heads on a silver platter of the people who have created them. The irony is profound here. They're eating their own. I think this is great. But I don't, don't think it's fair to the taxpayers of these states with, for these public institutions. What learning activity is going on? Very little. And when the football team tried to weigh in at the University of Missouri that they were going to boycott their next game, I went back to their website and I took a look at the the, the, uh, sporting section and I see that University of Missouri Tigers football team is a sub-500 team. I see they're on a four-game losing streak and I said, well, apparently they've already quit playing football at the University of Missouri. What are they talking about? Most of those players are on scholarship. The athletic director should have said, look, get back in that weight room. Get back in the film room for our next opponent. Let's try to end this four-game skid. Go to class when you're supposed to. And live up to the obligation of your scholarship. Otherwise, pack your bags, get out of our dorms, do not report to the cafeteria tonight to eat. You can pay for your own meal tonight. As a matter of fact, find someplace else to work out. Because when you start to pay your portion of the money needed to attend this school, you know, tuition, Instead of the free ride, well, then I might listen to you. But no, you know, nobody has the intestinal fortitude, the stones, if you will, to demand these people get back to class. It's not that they can't participate in in, in their insurrections and rebellions. Well, you're in a position to make demands. Get out of here with that nonsense. But it's not the world we live in right now. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The big political news of the day is Donald Trump's reaction to his being out of first place for the first time in the last several months. And the reason that these numbers are probably reliable is that 60% plus of people who will vote in Iowa are evangelical Christians. That makes a humongous difference in in electoral behavior. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I want to spend this last segment talking about this game of Russian roulette that the United States is playing, at least the administration is, with this Syrian refugee crisis. I'm going to start by reading from uh, Real Clear Politics, Radical Islam, the Invisible Enemy by Carolyn Glick to kind of set this up. It's easy to understand what motivates Islamic terrorists. They tell us all the time. They want the world to be run by an Islamic empire. The attacks they carry out in the Western world are viewed both as battles for the soul of Muslims worldwide and as a mean to terrorize non-Muslims into accepting subjugation. True, there are competing schools inside the world of radical Islam. On the one hand, there is the Sunni version of radical Islam propounded by the Muslim Brotherhood. They want the Islamic empire to be an Islamic caliphate, 
On the other hand, you have the Shiite version of radical Islam propounded by the Iranian regime in Tehran. Its adherents want the Islamic empire to be ruled by an ayatollah in Tehran. The radical Islamic goal of destroying America and the rest of the world is the same regardless of who ends up winning the intramural jihad contest. As we have seen repeatedly in recent years, the sides are happy to come together to achieve their common goal of killing us and destroying our society. The murderous Friday, that was in uh, Paris, may well have never received formal orders to commit their attacks from a central jihadist headquarters. Certainly they needed no advanced training to mow down people eating dinner or watching a rock concert. They didn't even, to even really know how to shoot straight. Well, let me stop there. We have this Syrian refugee crisis. And there, there, there's some in the administration who are trying to convince us that they can vet these refugees coming in, 70% of whom are men, Muslim men, that they can vet them properly. There's a problem with that, however. Let me talk just briefly about how terrorist organizations are structured. A terrorist organization consists of five components. You have your spiritual leaders, be like al-Baghdadi, Osama bin Laden. You have bomb makers, like now the late al-Awlaki. You have fundraisers, you have document forgers, and you have recruiters. That's how a terrorist organization network is set up. I want to focus on this document forgers. Several of the terrorists involved in the Paris attacks had legitimate passports. They were real passports, but they were forged. This is the problem. This is why I say the United States is playing Russian roulette. There is no way on God's given earth that you're going to be able to find this needle in the haystack. Which one of these individuals has a forged passport? Like I said, they're all real passports. So you never really know who this person is, what their allegiances have been, what kind of jihadi inspiration they might have. I liken it to trying to thread a needle in the dark, and you're using black thread. That's how difficult this thing would be. There is no margin for error in vetting these people. None. We would have to be correct 100% of the time. And folks, there is nothing in the world that is correct 100% of the time. We can't be 99% sure as they found out in Paris. And if you can't identify these individuals for certain because of their their, their ability to forge documents and get counterfeit passports, how do you know who you're letting in? You know, as, as a retired general said to me, this is the equivalent of national suicide that we're engaging in right now, this administration with their their, their foreign policies. And then Obama comes up the other day and says, oh, now uh, the Republicans are afraid of uh, widows and orphans. What? As I said, over 70% of these refugees are 
Men, what's he talking about? Men who we will never really be able to identify. Let me give you an analogy. Campbell's Soup recently had a recall on SpaghettiOs. I know you're asking yourself, where's he going with this? You stay with me. A couple of cans of SpaghettiOs turned up with plastic chips in them. Camels doesn't know how they got in there. You know what camels had to do? They had to recall that entire lot of SpaghettiOs made at a certain plant and made at a certain time. Why? Because the well had been contaminated and had no idea of what its source was. They were not able to predict with certainty that there was only a couple of cans that had the plastic in it. They had to reasonably assume, safely assume, I might add, that the entire lot made at that plant during that period of time had plastic or some other items inside. So they recalled every single can. Now, let me bring this around to the vetting process. Paul Ryan has this right. He has the house taking up the idea of putting a pause on this Syrian uh, Syrian refugee intake here in the United States. I would say stop, not pause. Because, again, with their ability to forge documents, and that's a big part of a terror network, that's how they move terrorists around the world undetected. With document forgers. So there's there's really no way of knowing. And we can't guess. We can't play Russian roulette and hope, well, in this spin of the chamber here, the bullet's not there. We can't get this wrong even once. We have to get over this. Well, the refugees need our help. Yeah, well, so do American citizens. And so I maintain that with this terror network and their ability to move terrorists around unsuspectingly, unassumingly, that they are coming in through this refugee crisis. And there's not much we're going to be able to do to help them. Find them safe haven somewhere else. Don't bring them here. You know, Dr. Kimberly Kagan and Dr. Fred Kagan from the Institute of the Study of War, they put it this way. There is nothing U.S. law enforcement and border security could do to guarantee that a group that small could ever enter our country or once here plan and conduct an attack like this. If the enemy is allowed to try as hard and as often as they like from safe havens abroad, they will eventually get through our defenses. That's the problem. Eventually, we are going to be taking in individual terrorists. And now the way that ISIS is working, they don't need well-coordinated attacks with orders coming from their base in Syria. They're using the Internet. I mean, heck, they're they're using our own radicalized Americans and encouraging them to attack 
and to kill. And it's happening. We can't take Syrian refugees in. We just can't do it. Thank you for joining me this week. Follow me, like I said, on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you. Enjoy your week, and good Lord willing, tune in next Saturday. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.